Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. Oh, all I need. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. Oh, all I need. He is good to but by his grace alone it's not by works of righteousness but by his grace alone we are complete in him complete 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 in him we are complete in him complete 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 in him we are complete in him There's nothing more that I can do for Jesus paid it all. There's nothing more that I can do for Jesus paid it all. There's nothing more that I can do for Jesus paid it all. I am complete in Him. Complete, complete, complete in Him. We are complete in Him. Complete, complete. Complete in Him, we are complete in Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for this day and just thank you for all that you've done for us and pray that you would help us today as we sing these songs about you and to you. Lord, as we lift your name up in worship, Lord, as we hear your message uh, preached in just a moment and hear from your word, God, please prepare our hearts 
for everything that we do today. Lord, we just want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Lord, maybe there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior. God, we pray for them today that they would trust you. And uh, Lord, just give us uh, what we need today. Help us. Help us to be obedient. And uh, we'll thank you for all that you do. For it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thanks for being here today. And thanks for the good singing. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. Maybe this is your first time or maybe you haven't been here in a while. Uh, We would just ask that you would take the bulletin that was handed to you on your way in. And if you would, just fill out this guest registration form on the side. And you can actually tear that off and put it in the box on the back wall on your way out. We would just like to have a record of your visit. We appreciate you being here today. Uh, Just a few announcements. Uh, Of course, we have our uh, kids' summer blast coming up in just a couple of weeks. And uh, this is for kids first through sixth grade. Basically, uh, it's a one-day vacation Bible school. And uh, we're going to have different stations here. Uh, Once they register, we'll have an opening rally, and then they'll have a Bible lesson and crafts and games, and we're going to feed them lunch. And uh, at the end of the day, we'll have all kinds of water games out here for them, uh, some dunk your head kickball. If you haven't, how many of you have ever played dunk your head kickball? All right, a few of you from Vacation Bible School. Basically, we have five-gallon buckets of water for the bases, and uh, it's just a kickball game. But in order to be safe, you have to dunk your head in the, in the water. So it's a lot of fun. We have uh, an inflatable water slide and slip and slide. We'll have water balloons. Just all kinds of things. So if you have kids or you know of kids, first through sixth grade, uh, just invite them. It's going to be on July 29th, uh, starting at 10 and go until 5. They can actually go on our website, fbchuntsville.com, and register for that. And uh, we would appreciate them doing that so we can better plan. Uh, If you plan to to work uh, uh, during that day, we have a meeting. Uh, Zach, you can go to the next slide there. We have a meeting today uh, after the service. And uh, that's going to be just right here down front, okay? It'll be really brief, and uh, I just want to kind of give you an overview and figure out where you want to serve, and uh, we can plug you in. It's going to be a really simple uh, day, a really simple process. And uh, so if you are interested, if you've signed up or maybe you haven't, if you're interested in serving, uh, just meet us down front here after the morning service, all right? Uh, we want to recognize one of our volunteers today. Jonathan, come on up. And uh, he helps in our life group for our kids' uh, ministry, and they serve in the nursery together. And he does other things than that. He's been a help to me in different areas. But uh, let's give him a hand. We appreciate you, Jonathan. All right. Well, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll sing some more before Pastor comes. Love this song, His Mercy is More. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise what patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more.
every morn Our sins they are many His mercy is more What riches of kindness He lavished on us His blood was the payment His life was the cost We stood neath a debt We could never afford Our sins they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more amen then this old hymn we haven't sung it here in a while old to be like him To be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of our treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. As thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting. Seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like Thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring, no reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, Thou art come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing. Lord, from this moment, all 
shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, meet for thy dwelling, fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Amen. Then love the message of this next course. This will be our last one before pastor comes to preach, but in his time. In his time.
get our Bibles ready, and our pastor is going to come and bring the message this morning. But before he comes, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Lord, we again just want to thank you uh, for who you are. And Lord, as we come to this time of uh, hearing your word preached, God, we just ask that you would prepare our hearts and take away any distractions. And be with pastor, Lord, as, as he preaches. Pray that you would help him today. And uh, help us to listen and be obedient to your word. And we'll thank you for what you do today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel, and thank you for being here today. So glad to have everybody. Matt travels all around the country. Magic, but he preaches, and his mom is a member here. She sits right back there. She's not feeling well. Morning, and of course, uh, to heaven was it uh, sixteen, something like that, twenty sixteen, and uh, that's his place right there, Frank, where you're sitting, and that's where they always sit. But thank you for coming; I appreciate that, buddy. And then uh, also, Sandra and Kent, uh, we're glad y'all are here. We met your girls last week, and uh, they made our service fun. I don't know if it was them or me, but uh, we're glad y'all are here. Thank you so much for, for coming again. And then, Carol, I met you, friends of Naomi and Steve, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for coming, dear ma'am. I hope you receive a blessing today. Uh, if you brought your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. And if you brought a pen, uh, you can write some things down. I think it will help you. And we will look there in just a moment. Galatians chapter 6. I've been preaching about um, a little series of messages. and They have to do with sowing and reaping and the theme of invest and invite. And this principle applies to a lot of areas, specifically to the matter of evangelism. Uh, years ago, maybe 15 or 16 years ago, I, I don't know the exact uh, time frame, um, I... Uh, had a, a, a disease, uh, it's, it's not communicable, you can't catch it, so don't be afraid if you shake my hand, and I'm not going to sneeze on you anyway, but uh, I, I had gone to a, a number of doctors in 11, as I recall, and nobody could help me, I was very, very discouraged, and uh, uh, just fatigued, that's one of the Natures of it, my body was not producing. Uh, I, I say my body, my blood was not producing antibodies, which fights infection. And so I had these these infections in my body, and one of the side effects, manifestations of that was uh, was just uh, extreme fatigue. And 
sleeping a lot, uh, sometimes 16 and 18 hours a day. And that wasn't all at once. That was just uh, kind of I'd sleep at night and then be so tired I couldn't do other things, the simplest things. And so there was discouragement about not being able to find out what was wrong. Later on, we found out. And uh, I have uh, weekly treatments for that. I'm grateful for that. But in the midst of that, there was one day that I had uh, some unusual strength, now relative to where I was at. But uh, it was difficult even to get out of the house. And so I had some unusual strength. And so I felt good. I told Paul, I said, I'm going to go out. I feel good today. And um, I'm going to go out. I'm going to drive and, and run some errands and be productive. If you've ever read uh, uh, Paul Tripp's book on suffering, it's, it's a masterpiece. Uh, wonderful, wonderful book. If you're hurting, uh, it's especially good. I would recommend it to you. Uh, and if you know someone that it is, you ought to buy it for them. Uh, I've given out many of those books to, to minister to people. So I, I got in the car and uh, was going up University Drive and pulled into the place of business I was at. And I walked in and I'd been gone about about 15 minutes. And I could, I could take you to the place. It was so memorable where this happened and walked in. And then uh, it was like a, a, just a, a, a tsunami of fatigue. I, I don't know how to... And, and by the way, this story is not about me, but it's to illustrate a point. I hesitate to even tell this. But, um, but just just swept over me. And I, I was uh, back to square one, as it were. And I, I literally just didn't know how I was going to get back home. I was, I was that tired... And then emotionally, I just I cried out to God. I leaned up against the, the door jam there in the store. And, and one of the prayers I prayed was, uh, God, I, I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. Now, I don't know why I said that, but it, the first thing that came to my mind, I feel like I'm in a holding pattern because we use that as a metaphor sometimes. And uh, I'm kind of a curious person, so when I got home, I... I researched that expression and uh, discovered, most of you already know this, but it's relative to planes. I knew that, but it's basically when, because of weather, you know, the backed up with um, takeoffs and landings, but it's like a, a parking lot in the air for planes where they just park the planes as long as they, they have the fuel but they're really not going anywhere. They're just, they're just there dawdling away their time and, and the people on the plane. And, and I, I wrote a series of sermons on waiting on God. You've heard me say this before, and I do believe it's true, that one of the most difficult things for a person to do, it is for me, and I think it is for people in general when I talk to them, is to wait on God. W-A-I-T. It's very difficult, but it's one of the most important things to wait on God. It's one thing to believe in it. You know, we sing that chorus, hadn't sung it in years. I'll teach it to you. Some of you don't know it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I believe all of that. But it's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to have to live it. But you can't live it. 
And when you're waiting in waiting season, it's important because God has done a work in you so he can do a work through you. God worked in Moses' life for 80 years so he could do a work for 40 years. God did a work in Abraham's life and he really never saw the the final work and uh, so forth. He did a work in Joseph's life for 13 years that... uh, Externally, it looked like it was for nothing. You know, we, we look at Joseph's story and say, oh, what a great story. But when you're in the pit and you're in the prison, there's no palace on the horizon. You see, we know Job's, the end of Job's story. But when he's going through all that, he, he went through some things. And, he, and, and we have to wait. And I'm talking to someone this morning. <clears throat> you may have to, you're waiting and you read the Psalms, and David says, uh, uh, God, wake up. Where are you, God? Why are the Psalm 37, why are the wicked prospering? And the word why is used. I've heard uh, people say, uh, never ask God why. Well, Jesus, on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? Here's the thing. Jesus knew why, why he was being forsaken. He knew the answer to the question. But it was so severe that as a man, as a human, though he was deity, it was, it was so great. The why just, just, came, it just came out. And the night before, you know, when he was in Gethsemane, it was so, he felt pressed, Luke 22 says, that an angel had to come and strengthen him. This is not the sermon, but <clears throat> I wrote down uh, some lessons that you learn while you're waiting. Number one, you learn about the heart of God. You learn some things you'll never learn any other place about God. Number two, you, you grow a strong character and a mature faith. That's all in James 1. You're never going to be the person you're going to be unless you suffer. But there's also the factor of time in that. And there's going to be faith in God. It's, it's like working out. I don't like to talk about my workouts, but I'll do it a little bit right here. And um, you guess, don't, don't mind our people, okay? They mock me all the time. I'm used to it. And I just have compassion on them. But uh, when you work out, it breaks down the muscle so you can have stronger muscle. Where you're going through trials... Uh, there's some things that breaks down. You don't think you're going to make it. You're waiting. Number three, it gives you perspective and wisdom. Someone said that idealism is in direct proportion to your distance from the problem. Well, I tell you what I would do. Well, not not if you had the problem. Number four, uh, waiting equips you for what God has called you to do. And I mentioned Moses and Abraham. You go through the New Testament to Paul was in the desert for years before he was the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's a scripture I want you to see. Put it up on the screen there. Romans 8 and 21 through 23. Because the creature, now this is us, the people were created People, because people themselves also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And it's speaking about our body. 
Well, you still, your, your teeth, unless you have really good teeth, you're going to get cavities. You still get headaches. You get old and things happen. You get wrinkled, you know. And worse, heart attacks, strokes. Shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But notice in that first sentence it says, shall be. We're, we're going to wait on that. Some people say, well, God, God will heal you. He can heal you. Well, he can, but everybody that I know he healed, they died at some point. You know? Now, I'm not cynical. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just saying that, okay... But the corruption is going to catch up with you. That's what I'm saying. God can do anything, but it's about the resurrection. For we know that the whole creation. Now, this is the first part refers to people. This is the atmosphere includes hurricanes, tornadoes, lightning storms, floods. For we know that the whole creation groaneth. Just like we groan. The Bible says here that creation groans. The created ones, we groan. And then later on it says the Holy Spirit groans. The whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now watch this. Even we ourselves groan. So much I want to say, I don't have time. Waiting. I circled that word, waiting for the adoption. That means when Jesus comes to get, we get our full body. The redemption of the body. We're anticipating, we're expecting. It's not a passive waiting. It's not waving the white flag. Oh, I just give up God. I'll just be in a bad mood. But it is waiting. And it's hard. Read the Psalms. We have a good God. We have a strong God. But you're going to have to wait sometimes. I was reading this week and encouraged by a, a pastor named William Sangster. He was a pastor in, in England. He lived to be 60 and died. In fact, he died in 1960. He was a Methodist pastor in in London. And uh, he would preach during World War II. And when the Germans would bomb London, um, it got so often, sometimes he would just preach through the the sermon. Well, the church he pastored, and I looked it up, I tried to see the basement they had the largest bomb shelter in England. His church did. And so, I guess if it got close enough, the sounds got close enough, the concussive effects, they went down into the basement and, and the whole neighborhood came over there. They had a ministry to the neighborhood of having a bomb shelter, which is another concept of that ministering. When he was 58 years old, two years before he died, he began to have some problems physically, went to the doctor and found out he had an incurable disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. And he he made four resolutions. And this is what attracted me to this. I want you to listen to these. He said, number one, I will never complain. Number two, I will keep our home bright. Number three, I will count my blessings. I like that. Not just I'll be grateful. That's a good one. But he takes it a little higher. I will count my blessings. And number four, I like this, I will try to turn it to gain. I, I want to meet this guy in heaven one day. And, and he wrote this later. He said, there have been great gains already from my sickness. 
I live in the present. Now, now, he, he learned this from his sickness. My sister Melody, when she got cancer and she um, didn't survive it two years after she found it out about it. And we would converse about this, about how that when, you, when you're ill, you, you don't take things for granted. You focus on the present. And he says, um, there have been great gains already for my sickness. Sangster said, I live in the present. I'm grateful for little things. And since I have more time, I use it for prayer. He's a good character man. The gradual paralysis began to extend into his muscles. And soon he had no voice. It took over his voice. He couldn't talk. He could only use two fingers. Completely paralyzed but two fingers. So he could write with those two fingers. And he said, Lord, let me stay in the struggle. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but just give me a regiment to lead. And he just tried to work and and speechless, helpless. He, He used his pen. And in 1960, two weeks before he died, he wrote a note to his daughter with these two fingers. And then, oh, this is the last note he wrote. And he couldn't write anymore after this. On Easter, he, to his daughter, he wrote, How terrible to wake up on Easter and have no voice to shout, He is risen. He's talking about himself. But far worse is to have a voice and not want to shout. The man had a perspective. Here's my question. I set all that up. But how do do you have that kind of perspective of when you're having to wait? You're waiting on the doctor's test. And then when you get the test, it's not good. Or you're waiting on a scan. Or you're filling the blank. Or maybe it's not physical, but your expectations aren't met in terms of the investment for your class or for your children. Or for your work, I mean, you keep getting bypassed for raises that that you deserve. Other people tell you that it's it's known. And you're just waiting and you begin to get bitter. What are you going to do? Look in Galatians 6, look at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You're not going to make a fool out of God. Here's the universal law he stamped on creation. Whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. You're going to reap what you sow. Now, that's not bad. That's also good. You reap good things, you'll reap those. And we see that in verse 8. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He's speaking about quality, not quantity as much there. And let us not be weary in well-doing. This is my text this morning. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I talked to you last week about about the importance of perspective, maintaining perspective. Be not weary in well-doing. And what happens when you lose your perspective? You begin to get weary. The word weary there means tired. It's used in the Bible of having a tired body, but here's not a tired body, it's a tired soul. And I begin to get discouraged. And over time, weariness 
of your soul leads to fainting. Be not weary, well doing, for in due season we shall reap if you faint not. Now the word faint's an interesting word. It means to, to relax. It means to loosen your grip. And it, it means to to release. It, mean, it has the idea of letting go of your responsibility. In other words, you used to sow seed, you're not sowing anymore. You used to have hope, you don't have hope anymore. You're not teaching your children anymore. You're not calling on your people anymore. Used to, you went the second mile. Now you're going the first mile. Some of you aren't aren't even going the first mile because your soul is weary. And because you're fainting, you're, you're, you're relaxing. I'm not talking about taking a Sabbath. You need to do that. Your body needs rest. But he, he's talking about having a weary soul. And all of a sudden you begin to stop doing the things within the will of God. Now last week we talked about patience. Be not weary and well done for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You've got to have patience. And we looked at the word of God about that. But within that patience, within that patience, what quality do you need to continue the well-doing? And there's a whole lot here in verse 9. That's why I'm spending some time on it. I want you to look there at this. Read it again with me. Let us not be weary in well-doing. You see, you're getting tired of, of doing what's good and right. And you begin to relax. Stop doing those things you used to do. Well, it's it's that little line, due season. You know, sometimes we go past this. I'm going to spend some more time on it in a moment, but I'm going to show, show you what it means. It means a customized time for the harvest. That's what it means. A customized time from God for the harvest. Let me give you some scriptures to illustrate this. James 5.11. The Bible says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. When you endure, there's a reward. But remember, while you're enduring, there's waiting. That's, That's the very nature of enduring because you're not rewarded up front. You sow the seed up front, but you don't reap always up front. You have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen, here's what I want, this is what I have underlined, the patience of Job and the end of the Lord. You have the beginning of the sowing, and then you have the patience, and watch this, you have the end of the Lord. This is not about you. This is about God. What is the end of the Lord? It's, it's who He is, and the Lord is pitiful, has the idea of compassionate. He's... He's of tender mercy. That's his, that's his grace. Listen to me. Listen. Whenever, whenever you're in the middle, you started, but you can't see the finish line. It's foggy. It looks like you're off track. Now, if, if, if it's sin, you confess it, forsake it, and make it right. But within, within obedience to the will of God, if you're there, you keep sowing the seed. And look to, look to the Lord because there is the end of the Lord. Now watch this. It's not the end of the project. 
It's not the end of your dream, the end of your desires. It's the end of the Lord, and He's good, and He's faithful. And it's going to be an end that you did not think about. It's going to be better. In Job 13 and verse 15, again, it talks about Job. He's, he's got all of these problems. His family died. He lost his business, everything. He's sick. He got all of these boils. Have you ever had the all over his body? Severe pain. Though God slays me, yet will I trust him. So you, you see his faith before the harvest. He's in the waiting time. He's in the middle part. I may die through this yet, and I underline the word yet, but I'm going to trust him. Now, how about you? Though I suffer, yet will I trust him. Though I don't see the results I expected, I will trust him. Though I'm giving more than I'm receiving, I will trust him. Though I'm tired, I will trust him. You fill in the blank there. And then one other verse about Job. In Job 23, in verse 10, he says, But he, God, knows the way. The word way there means the journey. I love that word. It's a fascinating word. It's the same that our ways are not his ways. It's the same word. God will take you on a journey you know not of. But God knows the way, the journey that you're taking. You think Job said, I, I tell you what, God, you... You just He didn't even know God and the devil had a conversation. Just make me suffer physically. Take my kids. Make me bankrupt. But he knows the way that I take when he hath tried me. Now this is future. Presently he's trying. But this, this part's future. I shall, future tense, I shall come forth as gold. So you have past, present, and future. And all of this is relative to, to your perspective. And if you don't have the correct perspective, you're not going to reap. You're going to waste a lot of, of the seed you've sown and the toil and the energy and the hope. You've got to see the end. But it's the end of the Lord, not just the, the finish line, but the good hand of God. Ecclesiastes 3.1, you'll recognize this. For in everything there is a season... Everything has a season. Parenting has a season. Marriages have seasons. Life groups have seasons. When I was a youth pastor, a different group of kids came in. They, it's, it's seasonal. And a time to every purpose. Now, you, you see the comprehensive language? Every season... Every purpose, there's a time, everything under the heaven. Now, you, you need to make peace with this. I was listening to the radio years ago, and that someone was quoting Amy Carmichael. And at first, I, I, I chafed against this. I didn't like it, but, but I, it made me think. You know, sometimes the things you don't like make you think. And he said, Amy Carmichael said, you haven't surrendered until you accept it. Now, there's some things you just want to fight. Now, I'm not talking about you just give up and quit. That's one thing. 
But it's another thing to you accept God's ways. Okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you do. A lot I want to say there, I don't have time for it. Look at verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up or reap that which was planted. Now that's in verse 2. In verse 1, he's talking about seasons and times and purposes. One commentator said about this, A man can no more reverse the times and order of planting and of digging up and reaping than he can alter the times fixed for his birth and death. These are seasons. These are times. You say, well, how do you figure that out? You don't. You have to trust God. And sometimes it's a struggle, and that's when you accept it. Now, we taught you a principle in evangelism. It's an acrostic, CPR, cultivate, plant, and reap. Cultivate, plant, and reap. God does the best cultivating. A man's got to be lost before he can be saved. You've got to be conviction of sin before he wants a Savior. Planting is, is the sowing of the seed of the gospel. And the reaping is when a person is brought to Christ. Let me mention three things about this, this principle. Each of these, that is a CPR, is different, but, but each is necessary. You see, evangelism is not an event. It's a process. Salvation is the event. That's the birth. Salvation is the event. And if you just see if you just see that as the success you failed, maybe sometimes you've just you've just cultivated. You've got them to think. You've got them to think maybe they've been rejecting God for some reason. They had something happen in their life and they had a bad church experience or their parents are Christians and some things happen you don't know about or professing Christians. And they met you, and there's something. They said, you know, this is different. There's some reality here that's cultivating, and their heart is opened. Number two, each of these, that is CPR, do not have to be practiced at the same time. I mean, very rarely do you go through CPR all at once. And when you do, you're entering into another person's labors. You're getting involved in what someone else has helped prepare. Someone else has prayed. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, he had a brother that was a great preacher. He pastored in London. And um, they was asking about his brother. And they said, well, who's, who's the best preacher in the family? He said, my mama. Said, my mama prayed. She prayed for us. In John chapter 4, verses 37 and 38, herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon on you be sowed no labor. Now here's the line. Other men labored and you're entered into their labors. So don't, don't be discouraged if, if they don't listen or if they're not prepared, they're not prepared to receive Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 5, who then is Paul? And it was Apollos. Paul started, he founded the church in Corinth. And Apollos took it over when Paul left. He was there for 18 months. And then Apollos became the pastor. And I like the word ministers. 
That doesn't mean they were reverends. It means that they were just servants. By whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth. Now look at this, are one. It's a team effort. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then this, this idea of each of these, that is the CPR approach, is to be practiced by all of us. You're not a specialist. Well, I'm more a cultivator. I just want to be nice to people. No, you're supposed to be a planter too. P-L-A-N-T-E-R. You're supposed to sow the seed. Carry some tracks with you. And, and uh, leave, leave generous tips. Learn, learn the names of the waitresses, the waiters. Be kind to them. Try to ask for the same people. Be generous. Cultivate, plant, and reap. It's a process, but you need to practice all of them. Ecclesiastes 7, 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Now, look at this. Put your thinking cap on here. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And he associates here patience with finishing. The end. It's one thing to start. It's another thing to finish. And he said, he talks about being patient in spirit. Adam Clark, who is one of my favorite commentators, he, he, here's what he says about this verse. Listen carefully. At the beginning, we are often apt to make rash conjectures or judgments. We often suppose that such and such things are against us and that everything is going wrong. Oh, this is a terrible day. All these problems at work. And then he says this, wait, W-A-I-T, wait the result, nor ask with rage why God permits such things. It is his ways though now involved in clouds and darkness that will appear all right, when from thine eyes the mist is cleared. Until then, learn submission to his will, and more wisdom will show. Then vainly attempt to explore what you cannot comprehend, and God for wise ends thinks fit to hide. Well, it's a mouthful there, but it's good. You're not going to understand the whole process. Some of you have one child, some of you have two. And if your kids are are over five, you know this. Kids are different. They're all different. They're different. And, And there are some things that are true for all of your kids that you're supposed to do. But children are different. And what worked one for one is not going to work for another. Now, there are some things you have to do in common. But better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And wisdom helps you to know the difference. When God begins it, then he will see that you prosper in the end. But you have to make sure he begins. And in the waiting time, remember, remember what James 5.11 said, you see God at the end. Okay, God, I'm surrendering this to you. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which... <clears throat> Had begun a good work and you will perform it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. There's so much in there, past, present, future, justification, sanctification, glorification. He's going to do the work. Well, sometimes he, he has to press it out of us. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Part of developing patience is trusting God's timing. Okay, God. Okay, God. Have a, I have a friend, and we were meeting somewhere, and he was three hours late. And uh, we were up in, in Pigeon Forge. And I said, are you okay? He said, well, the traffic was bad. And I said, were you upset? He said, oh, no. He said, I've, I've learned a long time ago, if God makes me wait, it's for a reason. And he said it with such confidence. Well, there's a lot of wisdom, but not just wisdom. There's a lot of maturity there. I don't know that I'm like that. But it's very instructive. In due season, those are two separate words. The word due, listen to this, is something that is peculiarly, I can't say it, peculiarly your own. It's personal and private. It is uniquely yours. It doesn't mean it's due yours because you... Deserve it. it. It means it is yours in a very personal way. In due time, it's your time. This is your time. Waiting time is never wasted time. You see, God is doing a work in you so he can do a work through you. God may put you through things with your children to sanctify you. God may cause conflict in your marriage to sanctify you. God may have conflicts in relationship in a church to sanctify you. Not so you can get everything working. You're not going to understand everything. God has our purposes in due time. But the due there is, is, is this is for you. Now, this is fascinating. The word season there, there are, two, there are two words in the Bible for time. One is the word chronos. We get the word chronology from it. And that has to do with hours and minutes. So this is chronos, specific time. The other word is kairos. And kairos is the present moment. It's the idea of an opportunity. It's quality time. Quality time happens. Opportunities, moments come. You say, man, that was a moment. But you never know when they're coming. You have to be attentive. And the word there is kairos. And you, in a very personal, appropriate, customized moment that God has for you, just for you, just for your family, just for your class, just for your you at work, be not weary and well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. But it's going to be in due season, not your season. Look to the end of the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season. And time to every purpose under the heaven. We already looked at that. You say, why are we looking at it again? I'll show you in a minute. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Verse 11. 
He hath made everything beautiful. Now look at this. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Everything beautiful in his time. The word beautiful there means it's pleasant. It means it's well done. John chapter 7 says Jesus has done everything well. One, one day in heaven you look back over your shoulder and you'll say that's beautiful. That's beautiful. My sister called me one uh, afternoon and she was weeping and she said, uh, Rick, the, uh, the, baby, the baby died. She was to have the baby in, in two days. She went for her final appointment and the doctor said that there's no heartbeat. Now, she's nine months pregnant. She has to have the baby. So she delivers the baby. The cord had wrapped in. I hope nobody in here is expecting. And I don't want to scare you. God, God can take care of you. But the cord had wrapped around the baby's neck. And, and so Melanie told me that my brother-in-law held, held that little newborn baby that was already blue and said uh, breathe 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 and we drove up to uh, Delaware and many of you prayed for them and you prayed for me she said I want you to to, to do the funeral for Grace Susanna Grace and so uh I told a story that I've told here about a grandmother that was cross-stitching and her little grandson came up and he looked up and he said, Grandmother, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm making something. And he looked up under that hoop and he saw all the discolored stitches and all the messy work underneath. And then he said it looks really bad and he walked off then he came back she said come back later came back 15 minutes he said it's still a mess he said come back he kept coming back finally she called him he came in there and he looked up in there and it was so messy threads hanging down nothing was in order she lifted him up put him on her lap she showed him the top of what she'd been creating And he said, oh, it's beautiful up here. And one day in heaven, one day in heaven, because all of us, you you relate to that story because, God, this is, this is messy. You sure you know what you're doing? But he's made everything beautiful in his time. And that includes all the waits, W-A-I-T, the waiting. And when my sister died, I'm telling you, I'm still dealing with it. It's hard. And I remembered that story a hundred times. And I have to go back to it. I said, okay. And by faith, I know it's already beautiful. But the pain and the absence 
you know, and, and be careful. I'll just say this. I say this so sweetly and kindly to you. Just be careful, okay? And nobody's done this to me. I just say it to help you. I say, well, they're with the Lord. You know, I remember when um, one of our precious members lost his wife. They'd been married for over 60 years. And every time he saw me, Brother Hank Gigley, he had a tear in his eye. He said, Brother Rick, he said, uh, I know it's absent from the body, present with the Lord, but it's still absent from the body, isn't it? I said, Hank, it is. You he believe that and see, it's, it's hard. It's just hard. That's why God gives us these promises, because he knows it's hard. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, he wept. George Mueller was a pastor in, in Bristol, England, and he had an orphanage that he financed by praying for money. And many times the money would come on the day or within the hour. If you ever read his biography, it's, it's a remarkable book. And so he had a prayer journal. You still see copies of it. People have, you can probably look at it on the Internet. And so on one side, he had requests. On the other side, he had the details where he would write the date and the answer to the prayer. He was ministering in Germany. He had traveled over there. He was well known. And a missionary came to him. He had a burden for his boys. He had six sons. He said, please pray for me. He said, I'm, I'm burdened for my sons. They're, they're not living for God. They're, they're not saved. Please help me. And here's what Mueller said. He said, Sir, continue to pray for your sons and expect an answer to your prayer and you will have something to praise God for. Six years later, he came back to that same village and that same church. That missionary was ministering there. And the missionary came to him with great delight in his face and he said, two months after you left, because they didn't have phones and stuff back then to communicate, two months after you left, five of my boys trusted Christ as their Savior. And the one I'm still praying for is seriously considering it. George Mueller interceded for one of his best friend's children. And so as he was praying for them, uh, it was it was a small group of guys. I think it was two two of his best friends, but he was praying for them. And uh, here's what he wrote. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this intently. Mueller said in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. These are his words. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether I was sick or in health, or on the land or on the sea. And whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, I prayed for these five individuals. And he continues, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. And I thank God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. And I thank God for the second. And I prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. Six years passed before the third was converted. I thank God for the three and went on praying for the other two. He said, these two remain unconverted. 
And this to the man, he's speaking of himself, he's writing in his journal, so he's not preaching, to whom God in his mercy has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer. And I've been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. These two men, and this is not his words, these two men, and they were sons of a friend of Mueller's youth. This is remarkable to me that this man would pray for, for his friend's boys, man. These two men, sons of a friend of Mueller's youth, were still unconverted when he died in 1897. After having prayed daily for their salvation for 52 years. But his prayers were answered when both of them came to faith in Christ a few years after his death. Just keep on praying till light breaks through. Just keep on praying. He'll answer you. God keeps his promise. His word is true. Just keep on praying. He'll answer you. The Bible says there is a a due time. It's customized. And it's an it's not like it's not like chronos. It's not like okay, here he's not gonna tell you it's an opportunity. And I I don't know what you're waiting on. But you need to live in Galatians chapter six and verse nine. And look to the end of the Lord, James chapter five and verse eleven. Look to him and press on after the heart of God. And see what God does for you. Let, let's, let's invest in God. You, you keep on praying. Keep on witnessing. Keep on loving. Keep on serving. And keep on giving. Let's, let's pray together. I wonder, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, as we close the service today, I wonder if there's a man, a woman, a young person here today. While you're seated there, say, Preacher, I, I've been waiting on God for something. And, and sometimes my soul gets weary. Fact be known, sometimes I, I'm tempted to faint. But I need to look to the end of the Lord for this due time. Because of his mercy and his kindness. He, he loves me more than I love myself. And I need to trust him. And I need, I need him to help me believe. And by my uplifted hand, I, it's a token of my faith and asking God to help me believe for this due time. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and down? Just slip it up and down. God bless you. God bless you. Our Heavenly Father, you see our hands, you see our hearts. I pray that you would help us as a church to be a church that 